If you take your Bibles, please turn to uh, John chapter 4. We're not in Matthew this morning. Uh, Today we're doing a once-off message in uh, John chapter 4. We're taking a break from the series in Matthew 23 to, uh, to deal with a challenge, to talk about a challenge that the Lord has presented before us as a church. Um, many of you know Bud, one of our, our members, as Brian mentioned, he was fired from his job on Monday and he was flown back home on Tuesday for handing out invitations to a Bible study that uh, he was hosting in his hotel room. Of course, this was a huge shock for all of us, especially Bud. Um, But he said that he accepts the company's decision, but he finds it so sad to leave without um, saying goodbye to his his faith family. Um, Bud was a wonderful example to all of us. He encouraged me personally. I think he encouraged all of us corporately to pursue Christ uh, with every minute of our lives. Uh, Bud was a a humble servant. Uh, He was, I think, contagiously enthusiastic uh, for the gospel. I enjoyed just being around him um, because he was so encouraging. Uh, Many of us here today are worshiping Jesus because of Bud's gospel influence in in our lives, because of Bud's faithfulness and his obedience to Christ in, in sharing the gospel. And we thank the Lord for his, his witness. Um, but in a transient culture that we live in, you know, we've had to learn to say many goodbyes. But I think Bud's sudden departure is a huge disappointment for us. And some people have said to me, even um, a huge discouragement to the ministry of New Life Church. So some questions I've had to um, deal with this week and questions I've even been asking myself this week, you know, is, so, so how do we deal with this, obviously? And then how can we process this and make sure that God is glorified through this all? And how does this stop us from doing what God wants us to do? And I believe that God's word can speak directly into our situation we find ourselves as a church And that's why we're going to be looking at John chapter 4 this morning. So if you would turn there with me, I'm going to be reading from verse 31 to verse 42. John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his word. They said to the women, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We want to acknowledge, Lord, that your word is life. We want to acknowledge, Lord, that um, your word is our, our final authority in all matters of our lives. And Lord, we look to your word this morning for answers. We look to your word this morning for direction. Um, we look to your word this morning for hope. And we pray, Lord, that you would please answer our prayers through the word this morning, that you would help us, Lord, to understand your perfect will, that we would help, that, that Lord, we would be able to encourage others. Thank you, Lord, we can come together this morning as you have instructed us, Lord, not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Thankful, Lord, that we can come this morning to encourage each other as iron sharpens iron, but also to point each other to Jesus in the process. And we pray today, Lord, through all of this, through the, through the struggles we face, through the trials that we face, Lord, that we would understand that you are Lord and that you are ruling and reigning and that you are in control of this, of this world that you have created and that we are your creatures, and we are to honor you, and we are to glorify you, and we are to do the will of the Father. So we pray, Lord, even through our struggles, through our trials, Father, that we would keep our eyes focused on the eternal perspective, on the eternal goal that you've given to us as a church. And Lord, that we would be faithfully obedient to your will. So Lord, we pray for your help this morning, and help us to understand your word, and help us, Lord, to give honor to you in our responses. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the books besides the Bible that has made a huge impact on my life is a, a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. In the opening pages, he shares a story which I was not able to forget as a youngster, it was a story of a retired couple. And John Piper writes, he says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider the story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in, in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler boat playing softball and collecting shells. And then John Piper says, picture them before Christ at the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, see my shells. And then he says, this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy. He goes on to say, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. And God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan to make much of Him in every part of our lives. I read this book before I, Kerry and I left to go to India. This book helped us even um, dedicate our lives to serving the Lord in India. And um, it's been an impact for me in many, many other ways. But I think the... The point of the whole book, and then the title of the book is Don't, don't Waste Your Life. 
Where, where are our passions? And that's his challenge. Is our passions eternal for the glory of God or is our passions temporary? Things that we want to waste our lives on here in the here and now. And I think a lot of people, even professing Christians, can slip by life without a passion for God. And too often, they can, they can get caught up in a life that, that counts for nothing and unfortunately ends up, they end up wasting their, their lives. And for me, Bud was not one of these people. Bud wanted his life to count for God's glory. Bud was not always like that, however. Bud did live a life as an unbeliever for many years. We've heard his testimony. While he was in the army, he, he lived a life that he regrets. Until one day, by God's grace, the Lord changed his heart and changed his passions and changed his desires so that he could live a life that was devoted to God's glory. And that's exactly what we see happening in our text here this morning. My first point this morning is spiritual feasting. And we see that in verse 31 to verse 34. Look with me at verse 31. It starts off with the word meanwhile. So just to give you some context here, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he had been spending some time with her, sharing the gospel with her. He had been sharing hope with her. He had been showing her the truth. And um, his disciples were on a separate mission. They had been sent to the, um, to the town that was close by, the, the village of, of Sychar. And they were going to look for food because they had been traveling the whole day. Um, and the disciples had come back from the town. And they were now encouraging Jesus to, to have lunch. And in a typical way, Jesus used this opportunity to teach him a very important spiritual truth. He wanted them to see things differently. He wanted them to see things that he had been seeing. You look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Saying, Master, eat. As I said, the disciples had gone to get food for everyone. And they come back to Jesus and they say, Master, we need to eat. We all, we all are hungry, but you also, you need to eat. Um, we see a little bit of the humanity here of Jesus and, of course, the care of the disciples. They, they, were, they were concerned about the physical needs of Jesus. But then Jesus answers them in verse 32. Look at verse 32. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Of course, this confused them. They thought they were the ones who went to go and get the food. Um, but Jesus is now talking about food that, that they didn't know about. And, of course, they're thinking physically here. Look at their reaction in verse 33. They say, has anyone brought him something to eat? So they're thinking physically here. And Jesus is trying to teach him rather a, a spiritual truth. Jesus was not speaking about physical food. While the disciples were out in, in, in Sychar, Jesus was having a, a spiritual feast, not a, a physical feast, 
It was a, a spiritual feast. It was a, a feast in his own soul. In his own soul. You know, since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, perhaps he had no greater joy than what he had just experienced with that Samaritan woman. Because here was a believing heart, someone who had been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this, this instance here is really the first real conversion that takes place in the ministry of Jesus. Of course, except for the, the disciples of Jesus. Jesus' heart was filled with, with much joy. And he was saying to his disciples in verse 32, I'm really satisfied. I'm overjoyed. My heart is rejoicing. I, I'm, I am satisfied. Who needs, who needs bread? Who needs physical things when I've been feasting on this spiritual joy? Jesus had been wrestling with the soul of a, a woman who probably was a prostitute. A woman who had many types of husbands. A woman who was an outcast. A woman who was rejected by even her, her own people. And he had shown her the hope that she could have in the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a religious woman. She was a woman who, who was very ritualistic. But the Lord was now opening up the doors to eternal life. A life of forgiveness of her sins. A life that was full of joy. And a life that was, was full of hope. And the Lord was rejoicing to see this woman who had embraced the, the truth. And Jesus had feasted on this. And he's telling his disciples, my, my weariness is gone. My, my, my thirst is gone. My, my hunger is gone. And I am, I am satisfied. And the disciples, not having been around during that conversation that Jesus had, they obviously didn't understand everything that, that Jesus was trying to explain to them. They didn't at first understand the spiritual feast that Jesus was talking about. We, I'm, I'm, you know, probably we are all very concerned about eating. I think it's a very important part of our, of our day. We know we need to eat. We know we need the nourishment that comes with the, the food that we, we eat. But Jesus is more concerned about the nourishment that comes from, from loving others, from sharing the gospel with others, from sharing the, the truth that comes from the gospel. Jesus gets strength, he gets satisfaction here from witnessing to others and, and sharing this, this water of life with those lost in their sins. And then there's a reason for this. And when we, we give ourselves to the work of personal evangelism and we start to understand what God's mission is for us as a people as individuals God pours more life he pours more joy he pours more excitement more purpose into our into our daily existence and giving life away to others God pours life back into us and the truth is the more we share God, the more we start to enjoy God. The more we appreciate God, the more we value God. And the more we delight in God, the more we enjoy God. 
And it's true, the more we give, the, the more we receive. I wonder, have you ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone? And can you remember that experience? Some of you had bad experiences, some of you had good experiences. But can you remember the joy you felt when that person responded favorably to the, to the gospel that you were sharing with them? Can you remember the joy that you experienced when somebody understood the gospel, when somebody understood their, their need for a savior, when somebody humbled themselves to the point where they realized that they were a sinner, that they needed Christ? Can you remember that, that joy? I remember traveling in India on a, on a bus um, to a village that was 30 kilometers away that took me an hour and a half to get to on very bumpy roads. But I remember sitting next to people and um, starting conversations in this bus, start, total strangers that I'd never met before. And before an hour and a half is finished, we, we were there before I even knew it. I mean, the time had gone so fast as we were, as we were talking about the things of the Lord, as I was trying to show them Christ in the, in the, in the Scriptures. I mean, it took, it took such a, a long time to get there normally, but it just the time went so quickly because of, because of the feast that I was experiencing as I was wrestling with their, with their souls. And I remember even Bud sharing similar testimonies when he was witnessing to people and um, sharing the gospel with his, his friends, with his work colleagues. Um, and the excitement and the joy that there was on Bud's face when um, people came to, came to faith. I mean, we remember many testimonies of that. But in verse 34, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach and explain this joy to his disciples. And Jesus says to them in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is my food. So the question this morning that I present to all of us is, is what do you feast on? What do you feast on? We see Jesus feasted on the will of God. His greatest passion, his greatest joy was to do the will of God. That was enough for him. That satisfied his, his soul. And this is the great subject that, that Jesus is presenting to his disciples, that he is presenting to, to us this morning. The will of God. Let me take you through a quick, um, a quick journey through the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 5 quickly. I want to show you some of, verse, some of the verses here. God's great, Jesus' greatest joy came from doing the will of God. God's, Jesus' greatest joy came from fulfilling the will of God. In John chapter 5, verse 36, it says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. I do the Father's works. Turn the next chapter to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him 
who sent me. Go to John chapter 8, verse 29. John chapter 8, verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then he goes on in, in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 18. He says, No one takes it from me, talking about his life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge or this commandment I have received from my Father. And then the, the climax is in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verse, verse 4, when he's praying to the, the Father, Jesus says to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus' whole life was preoccupied with doing the will of the Father. Nothing else mattered to Jesus. He wanted to fulfill the will of the Father. God's will in His life. Now this is a great example to us of what our lives should be, isn't it? Our lives should be the, the will of God. Constantly, never ending, always doing the will of God. That should be our life's passion. The very doing of the work of evangelism puts you into such intimate communion with the heart of God that, that giving becomes receiving. And when you join your hands to God's favorite enterprise, there is a special provision from the Lord. Now feeding becomes eating. And evangelism and and missions is a way of, of nourishing our souls. And that's the change in our way of seeing the world that God wants us to see. Not just on a, on a physical level, not just to be eating the physical food, but to enjoying this, this spiritual feast that, that God has for us. And I believe that Bud understood this. You know, I don't think Bud is the only one in our church that, that gets this. Let me encourage you all this morning. You know, it's been an encouragement to my own soul to, to see how people have responded to the, the email I sent out regarding our internship program. Now, internship program is, is intimately connected to missions, to our missions program. And many of you understand that. And that is why you, you have donated sacrificially. You know, I hope you haven't donated because you, you love Pedro so much even though he's a great guy to love. Um, I, I hope you give because you understand the, the mission that the, the Lord has given to us as a church. We want to invest in, in men. We want to help equip men who will be able to teach others the, the gospel effectively in, in a pastoral ministry. We want to make disciples. That's the purpose of, of us being here on this earth as as Christians, this is the, the mission, the goal that God has given every single one of us. And I remember hearing a, a message from uh, Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church where, where John Piper used to be the pastor. 
And he announced that the church had prayerfully set a goal of sending 2,000 of their own members out as missionaries with the ultimate goal of leading 2,000 people to faith in the period of 10 years. They set this goal. I mean, they have a huge church. They have huge resources, okay? But what a wonderful goal. What a wonderful goal. Send out 2,000 of their own people so that they can reach 2,000 people who are, who are lost. I mean, what a wonderful goal. They, they had resources, but they knew how to use their resources. They had people, but the people understood the reason they were on this earth. The people were committed to this spiritual feast. Not just this physical food, but this, this spiritual food that the Lord wants for, for all of us. They have, a, they have a slogan, John Piper, their church has a slogan, and it, the slogan is, to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all people. What, what a wonderful slogan. I mean, I, this is a people who, who understands this spiritual feast. This is a people who have the right type of passion, a passion for the glory of God to, to be displayed in all nations, for people to worship God in all tongues, in all nations. And I pray that this is the direction that we are going as a church. And I'm praying that this is the, the, the passion that the Lord would give us all as a, as a church. My second point is in verse 35 to verse 38. Sowing and harvesting in the kingdom. And what Jesus says next in this text is a, is a call to see the world of, of sending and, and harvesting, sowing and reaping. He wants us to see this in a very different way than we usually do. Remember, the Lord is trying to give us physical illustrations to teach us spiritual truths. He wants us to see the, the spiritual lesson here. And Jesus had just been sowing the seed of the word during the last half hour with this Samaritan woman at the well. And the Samaritan woman who had just been forgiven of her sins and had received mercy and grace, she herself was was full of joy and full of excitement. And then she had gone to sow more of the gospel in, in the town, in the village that she was from. Because she could not help but share this wonderful good news. Her desires had been changed. Her, her passions had been changed. And she had this desire to share the wonderful news, the good news with other people. And the problem was now, how were the disciples going to respond? How were the disciples going to react? And Jesus is presenting a challenge to the disciples here. Are you going to lift up your eyes to see what I have been doing, what, what God has been doing? Or will you just go about your business worrying about your stomachs? Worrying about the physical food. Jesus was saying, you know, contrary to all your expectations, this town that we have come to, where you have just gone 
to buy lunch and you saw nothing is in fact a place of ministry. Is in fact a place where the fields are white unto harvest. This is not just another village. This is not just another place. This is a place of ministry. And you need to now go. Look at John chapter 4, verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus says, Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. In ordinary harvesting, there is, there is a period where people sow, and there is a time where, where people reap. And of course, there's an interval between um, those two periods. But Jesus is looking at those, those green fields, and he knows there are still probably four months to go before that, that green wheat is, is ready. But Jesus is saying, look. He's pointing to his disciples. Look. Lift up your eyes. And you know what they saw there? It wasn't just wheat. They, they saw a group of, of white-robed Samaritans. The Samaritans wore that, that white dress that, that, similar to what they wear here in the UAE. And they were walking across the field. They were coming across the, the top of the, the green grain. And Jesus says, Sure, though, the harvest of grain has still got four months to go, but the sole harvest of these Samaritans coming across the fields is now. Now is the time. Do you see it, disciples? Lift up your eyes. The harvest is ready now, he says. And simply what Jesus is saying to his his disciples is, men, move out. Men, go and reap the harvest. Pick them off. Jesus has already prepared their hearts. And it's a wonderful picture here. A wonderful picture we see here in verse 35. He compares the green grain with these close Samaritans, and they're ready to be harvested. And you know, this is... This is the first time that he's ever told his disciples that they have any involvement in reaching people. Remember, this is just the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All this time he's been, he's been teaching them and he's been gathering them around himself. But now he says to them in verse 36, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. What he's saying is the reaper gets paid. The reaper gets paid. When he reaps the grain. When he reaps the grain. When you go out to reap, you are also going to get paid. And that's what he wants his disciples to understand. That's what he wants us to understand. He's not going to give us food for, for our wages. He's not going to give us money for our, for our labor. He tells us you're going to get it paid 
in the joy and the same kind of food that, that I've been eating while you've been gone. Your souls are going to be satisfied. When you reap souls, your food is the same joy over their eternal life. Just like I was rejoicing with the Samaritan woman. Look at verse 37 there. Look carefully. Jesus says, For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Others labored and didn't harvest. You didn't labor in sowing, but harvested. I think what Jesus has in mind here is that he has just sowed the, the seed of the, the word. And the woman is now sowing the seed in Samaria, in the villages where she's gone back to. And of course, John the Baptist has been there. We know he's been sowing the seed there um, during his ministry. And of course, the prophets were there as well, also sowing the, the seed, sowing the word. And we know Moses was part of that as well. And all these seeds have been sowed over, over time. But now Jesus is sending his disciples to enter into that harvest for which they have not sowed. They weren't the ones doing the hard work, but they're going to receive this wonderful harvest. And God says it doesn't matter who does the sowing. It doesn't matter who does the, the harvesting. It doesn't matter who does the reaping. What matters is that we are involved. What matters is that we are faithful in sharing the seed of the Word of God. And God means for us to, to be glad together in this work, to be joyful in, in doing this work. This is not a numbers game. Oh, I, I led five people to the Lord this week, Pastor. Isn't that wonderful? Well, that is wonderful, but that's God's work. That's not your work. It's even more wonderful that you shared the gospel with 10 people this week and still nobody responded. I mean, that's just as wonderful, folks. Verse 37. Look at the end of verse 37. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is being involved in the work of evangelism. This is being faithful to our commission, to our purpose in sharing Christ with, with others. Preaching, sharing, personal evangelism, even hospitality, inviting people to your home, telling them about your, your best friend Jesus, giving people a, a WhatsApp message, Telling them you're praying for them. Giving them a Bible verse. This is all part of just, just sowing. Just sowing. But this is the, the task that the Lord has given to us. The sower and the reaper will rejoice together. People come to faith in Christ over time. And Bud understood this. Now Bud has been here over five years coming and going, sowing and sowing, getting no results, and then all of a sudden, people coming to faith. You know, Tom gave a testimony of that. John even gave a similar testimony. 
God had been working in Tom's life and, and John's life through many people and in different ways. And when they arrived in the UAE, they, they met Bud, who continued to sow the gospel truths, continued to sow the Word of God into their lives until eventually both Tom and, and Bud surrendered their lives to Christ. And Bud had the wonderful privilege of reaping with joy. Reaping with joy. He was happy to be the, the sower, but he was also happy to be the reaper. It didn't matter. The joy was these people were coming to faith. And so should we, folks. So should we. You know, many times when, when I've been preaching, somebody will, will come to Christ and, and, and I, I will ask them, well, well, what happened? What brought you to Jesus Christ? Well, it wasn't so much my message that brought them to Jesus Christ. It was the prayers of their mother for 20 years. It was a faithful friend who kept on telling them that Jesus loved them. It was a, an irritating neighbor who kept on telling them that Jesus is the Savior. Not their work, not their, their bank accounts. I talked to so-and-so at one time and, and I heard this another time and, and I read this another time and, and tonight everything just came together. I understood it. Remember what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, somebody sows, somebody waters, but it is God who gives the increase. I don't have time to tell you the, the full story of Frank Jenner, but please write that down. I'll, I'll send out a link. What an amazing story, Frank Jenner. Um, in 1952, one pastor of a, of a Baptist church in England he started hearing several testimonies from, from different people who became Christians after Frank Jenner approached them um, in Sydney on George Street. This is a true story. You know, he would simply start his conversation with, young man, if you were to die tonight, where would you be, in heaven or hell? And he, he worked in a little a shop on, on, on um, George Street in, in Sydney. But he, he wanted to tell people about Jesus. And during his lunch hour, during his tea break, he would be out on the streets asking people this question. If you were to die tonight, where would you be in heaven? And he never saw any fruit from his ministry. But he did this faithfully, faithfully for, for 30, 40 years. Well, this pastor who kept on hearing these testimonies about this gray-haired man on George Street in Sydney who had shared the gospel with them and they had, they had left and gone and searched the scriptures, he, he started to realize that, that there was a common denominator here. And he went to go and find this gray-haired man on George Street and he eventually found this man sharing the gospel with somebody else in Sydney. And he eventually approached him, and that's where he discovered that his name was, was Frank Jenner. And he went to Australia, and he, told, and he told Frank Jenner about all these people that had heard the gospel because of his faithful witness. 
Frank Jenner was in his 60s when he heard this story. And he had been faithfully preaching the gospel for 30 years without ever one person coming to faith in Christ. And when this pastor told him about this, he just began to cry. He began to cry because he, he didn't even know one of these people had received the gospel and had turned to faith in Christ. But he was just faithfully sowing, faithfully sowing, without ever seeing any harvest, without being able to reap any of that. He just faithfully sowed, faithfully sowed. And so many people came to faith because of his consistent ministry. Sounds like somebody else we know, isn't it? The third point, Savior of the world. Savior of the world in verse 39. Here's the climax, actually. The climax. It says in verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And she said, He told me all that I ever did. This is one testimony by one woman. Notice, this is a woman sharing the gospel. This, is a, this was a cultural no-no in the days. I mean, we can understand the, the, the Arab context here. But this woman was now telling other people about what Jesus had done for her. And the seed started to germinate. The seed started to germinate in the lives of these Samaritans. And they were impressed. They were impressed by the kind of power that it took to change her heart. They knew who she was. I'm sure they had some history with her in some context. But they saw this change. They saw the change that the gospel had made in the life of this sinner. And they were ready. They were ready. And Jesus points his finger to them and says to his disciples, The harvest is ready. Go. Look at verse 40, this, this beautiful statement. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. The scripture doesn't say they, they wanted him to stay two days. They probably wanted him to stay for, for two years or forever. But here are these simple, prepared Samaritans. They just accepted him and said, stay with us. Don't go. Don't leave us. Stay with us. And God in his grace stayed with them for two days. Now I can imagine that those two days were, were precious days. Two days with the Son of God, that, that, that must have been special. Look at verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. A few believed because of the, the woman's testimony, but many believed because of his word. Look at verse 42. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know. Now here's the climax. Look at the rest of the verse in verse 42. We know that this is indeed the Savior 
of the world. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible, please do that right there. This is indeed the Savior of the world. Now remember who the Samaritans were. They were half Gentile and they were half Jews. They were outcasts, actually. The Jews wanted nothing to do with them. They had to go live in a different village. They had to go live in a different town. They weren't even allowed to go worship in Jerusalem. So they made a, they made a temple of their own, and they put it on a hill where they could go and worship. They weren't welcome to go and worship in Jerusalem. And they made up their own form of religion. And they were pious people. The Jews would not walk through the town of Samaria. They would walk around. And that's why it was so unique. It was so unusual that, that Jesus was, was speaking with a Samaritan woman. And that's why it's even more unusual that the disciples went into to Sikha to go and get food. Because Jews don't go there. But this has all changed. This re religious people who were just following a religion, who were just following their rituals that they had invented, the scales had fallen off their eyes. And they had seen the wonderful truth that Jesus is this promised Messiah. Jesus is the, the Savior of the world. They got it. The Jews, God's chosen people, didn't get it. The Samaritans did. He is indeed the Savior of the world. What a statement. I think John, the Apostle John, who recorded this, has been dying to tell us this for, for four chapters to get to this point. Jesus, the Savior of the world. They knew it. They knew it, the Savior of the world. These people back in Samaria 2,000 years ago loved the same Jesus Christ that, that you love today. These are the same people that we will see in heaven one day, that we will worship Jesus with together. These believing Samaritans tell us that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And they witness is still very much loud today through the pages of the Scripture. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him. Now, many sinners were converted. Many believed on the testimony of the woman. Many more came to hear and believe because they heard Jesus themselves. This is a wonderful story. But unfortunately, there are not too many stories like this. We know the rest of the ministry of Jesus was not well received by the Jews. And even today, the witness of Jesus is not well received today in many parts of the world. And there are not too many instances of such remarkable success that, that we see here in John chapter 4. And from a single conversation, that's all it took to the conversion of so many people. But I want to encourage you this morning that we should never despair of doing good in the most unpromising circumstances. You know, many of us would probably be tempted to think, well, you know, if Bud got fired from his job because he was asking, inviting people to a Bible study, 
I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. I mean, we could be so fearful that the last thing we want to do is tell our work colleagues about Jesus or even invite them to church. But I, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't let fear dictate your response. Don't let fear dictate your response. Rather, let the glory of God be your passion. Rather, let the glory of God be your passion. Take every opportunity to share with sinners the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let this be your passion. Let this be what determines your behavior. Not the lies of the devil. And we won't probably ever be in a situation like this. I mean, it would be wonderful. This is revival, actually, folks. And we pray for revival, isn't it? But if we never see revival, if we never see hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ, if we never see villages turning to faith in Christ, that should not stop us from doing the work that God has called us to do. Let's not be intimidated by what the world can do to us. Now, let's not feast on on the worldly fears, or even on the worldly food that the, the devil will throw at us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of, of life. Now let's not get caught up in a life that counts for nothing, and we end up wasting our lives. That is not God's purpose for us. Let's rather feast on, on the spiritual food, that God has for us, where we will find joy, where we will find contentment, the spiritual food that comes with doing our Father's will, just like Jesus did. Some will sow, some will reap, but we will all rejoice together. This is a promise from God, folks. It doesn't matter if you're a gifted evangelist or not. Whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, whether you have the gift of hospitality or not, it doesn't matter. We just need to be faithfully doing the Father's will, sowing the seeds. I want to finish just with one quote from Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. I'll put it on Facebook this week. John Piper says, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display His supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan to make much of Him in every part of our lives. And that is my prayer for all of us that we would pray and think and dream and plan to make much of our Savior in every area of our lives, including our, our workplace, including our neighborhoods, including in our schools, in our colleges, that we would live with a single passion to joyfully display the glories of our great God to a world around us dying in essence. And may God get the glory from our responses. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we want to, to thank you for this story that's been recorded for us, Lord, for our admonition, for our encouragement. Lord, that we would see the, the truth that is here for us to learn from. We would not just see it, Lord. We would not just hear it. But Father, that we would obey your word as well. That we would be faithful in doing the Father's will. And we know your will for us, Lord, to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we, that we would be faithful in doing that as a church. Or that we would not grow weary in well-doing. That we would not be discouraged by the devil or by even our own failures. But rather, Lord, we would faithfully be sowing in a place that you've put us. We've said this over and over again, Lord. It's no coincidence. There's no chance that you have placed us here in the UAE just so that we can make money. You have brought us here, Lord, in the middle of the Middle East to proclaim the supremacy of our God amongst people who are worshipping false idols. And all things are happening, Lord, for a reason around us. And we know people are living lives full of despair because they, they are blind and they don't know the truth and they are walking in darkness. But we have the light. Father, may we not hide our light under the bush. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. May we not be fearful of what the darkness can do to us. But may we let our lights shine that people may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So Lord, please take your word and apply it to our hearts that we may be bold in our faith. Lord, that we may Receive this joy that you have for us in the task of sowing and reaping, Lord. And may we be encouraged and may you be glorified, Father. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.